0: Craft Beer Radio presents the 2012 Sabre Salons. For a fifth year, we recorded the salons at Sabre. This year, there were 18 in all, six educational salons and 12 private tasting salons. You can find all the Saber podcasts, including the ones from the past five years, on our website at craftbeerradio.com. The second educational salon on Friday
1: was 5,000 miles from Sabre. Beer and food from the island of Maui with Garrett Marrero from Maui Brewing Company. My name is Steve Broad. I'm a brewmaster for Free State Brewing Company in Lawrence, Kansas, and I'll be your moderator for this evening's Salon. Savor, now in its fifth year and well-established as one of America's premier beer and food events, is brought to you by the Brewers Association, the national nonprofit trade association representing small and independent craft brewers. I serve on the board of directors for the Brewers Association, and also as chair of the events committee, which assists in production of Savor, and the Great American Beer Festival, another one of America's premier craft beer events. This year held in Denver, Colorado, in early October. The BA also publishes craftbeer.com, which is your best source of information about these events and about the wild, wider or wilder world of American craft beer. In addition to the efforts of the Association's volunteers, its incredible staff, you and the small independent craft brewers who are serving beer in the Great Hall tonight, events like Savor are made possible by a larger group of supporters and sponsors. A complete list can be found in your program, but I would like to particularly recognize uh, our host distributor, the Reyes Beverage Group, and also Spiegelau Company, the provider of the special glassware for Savor. Also, if you miss something that our speaker says tonight, all of the Saver Salons are recorded for podcast listening by craftbeerradio.com, giving you the opportunity to hear it all again. Not always good. <laughs> um, when the chance for questions comes up, I hope you'll please let me bring a microphone around to you so your question can be immortalized on the podcasts as well as the answer. Craft beer has often been a heady mix of the familiar and the exotic as brewers refined the elements of existing styles and took bold paths into new creations. Whether your taste runs to the exotic or to the familiar, I think you'll enjoy tonight's presentation, Beer and Food from the Island of Maui. Our speaker tonight is Garrett Morero, owner and founder of the Maui Brewing Company in Hawaii. Garrett will be presenting Maui beers paired with foods inspired by the menu at the Maui Brew Pub. Maui Brewing was founded by Garrett and his wife Melanie in 2005, and they won their first two medals at the 2005 GABF right out of the gate. In addition to their award-winning beers, they have also won local recognition for commitment to their community and to the environment. In 2006, Maui added the 25-barrel production brewery, and most recently, in 2011, they've added the new high-speed canning line. Please join me in welcoming Garrett Marrero. (laughs) Thank you. Cool. It's it's great to
0: be here tonight. Everybody hear me okay? The mic's in a good position. Uh, I think we're going to get started right out of the gate with some beer. Uh, I think that's what everybody's here for, right? All right. All right. Cool. Um, this first beer, I'm just going to go right to beer. I'll, we'll talk about what I'm going to talk about here in a minute. Um, but in the interest of time, given that we're going to give you four beers and four different food items, we better get going, right? Uh, this is the La Perouse White. Uh, it's a Belgian-style wit beer brewed with local mandarin oranges as well as coriander. Uh, so it's an authentic style uh, you know, attributed to a uh, wit beer. However, we used uh, 900 pounds of mandarin oranges from local farmers. Um, One of the big things about our brewery is that when we started the company, we said, we want to make a truly local beer. So in Hawaii, that means making it in Hawaii. Uh, We'll get into more of that later. Uh, But also with with a, a focus on local agriculture. So when we buy oranges, we don't say, you know, local produce firm, where can you get me oranges from at what cheap price? We say, local farmers, what do you have for us? And uh, believe it or not, citrus doesn't grow very well in Hawaii, so it's sometimes quite difficult. Uh, So we worked with three different farmers to get 900 pounds of local mandarin oranges for this beer. Um, This process too, normally you'll find Belgian Whip beers have the orange peel. uh, Sometimes they use juice. We actually did it a little different, where we literally took the whole orange and pureed it with a RoboCoupe and added it into the Whirlpool. So we have the entire orange, the peel, the pith, and the juice all in this beer. Um, The very batch that you're drinking is the same batch that won at the World Beer Cup this year. So we selected that to send to you. So you would actually get to taste what the judges taste. Um, This is a bronze medal from World Beer Cup. Uh, I think Hugarten placed above us uh, in the silver. And uh, Allegash White, one of my favorite beers, uh, took a gold. So uh, we were in very good company, obviously. this is going to be paired with our surfing goat dairy uh, fritters. They're basically a goat cheese fritter. Uh, we flew the goat cheese out, so you'd also get to experience the actual goat cheese that we use at the restaurant. Uh, it's a goat farm up country where they, uh, they make the cheese. They do every different type of cheese you can imagine with goat cheese, of course. Uh, so there's curry, there's lavender. They even have a gold flake uh, goat cheese, which tastes no different, but it's ridiculously expensive. Um, <laughs> They do a goat cheese and chocolate truffle, uh, which is really, really, really nice as well. Um, But again, showing our commitment to the local agriculture, uh, we only use surfing goat dairy goat cheese as opposed to another. Thank you. Um, We... When we first started, like I said, the commitment to local agriculture, I think, focused primarily around our coconut porter, uh, which we're going to have that later. But uh, the purpose of tonight's educational salon, you know, really, I think, with us being so new to the East Coast market, we really wanted to come out, really say hello and, and thank you, uh, and also apologize that there's no beer on the shelves currently. Uh, I think that 's uh, relative to all of your support, so we 'll we'll be restocking the shelves soon, I promise, uh, but I really wanted to talk about who we are and what we do, so you really understand who 's behind the company, what our story is where we, where we were born, and, and uh, the direction we 're going so uh, there 'll be a lot of uh, q and a time as well, uh, and feel free. I'm, Uh, This is a conversation. It's not a speech, I believe. So as we eat and drink and something uh, comes up, feel free to uh, shout it out. I'll do my best to repeat the question uh, if I remember that. So with that, I've I've got to get into my Lafruz White as well. Cheers. Cheers. Still, it's funny, I actually haven't had this in a while. Um, we, we sold out very quickly, so I went and bought some at Whole Foods. It was the only place I could find it uh, on island. I had to go buy three cases just so I could have some at home, so it was very good. Uh, this beer was created by uh, Kim Lutz. She's our lead brewer at our brew pub. So if, uh, Anybody been to Maui? Been to our pub? You have? Cool. How long ago? Six months ago. Oh, perfect. So, so recently. So you probably had this on tap, I'll bet. Um, you know, Kim's a great brewer, she, she started in brewing, uh, I believe in 2007 is when we hired her. Two, yeah, right about 2007, she came from the wine world and she walked in the building and I looked at her and I said, you know, can you just do me a favor and pick up that bag of grain?" Uh, because I couldn't believe she could do it. She's this little thing. She's uh, maybe five, four, five, five, and she threw that bag of grain over her arm. And she says, "Look, I make wine right now, and I'm sick of waiting for it to be ready to be drunk. So I started home brewing, and I'd really like to brew beer. And she has evolved into a, a phenomenal home brewer or a professional brewer, uh, starting out at the home brew level. So uh, there's always a lot of hope there. Uh, this has been her uh, pride and joy so far, and we're very proud of her to, to bring us a World Beer Cup medal. Um, it 's become a mainstay at the brew pub as well, so um, but a little bit of our history, uh, Maui Brewing Company as a company started in two thousand and five. Uh, there was a, a failing it would be the good word uh, brew pub on Maui. Uh, it was a place that uh, was a little bit uh, run down, a little bit misfocused. Uh, it, had, it went by a different name. We actually created the Maui Brewing Company name. I couldn't believe that was available. Um, but it was one of those places, it was a brew pub, that you could tell all the partners wanted to be doing something different. And so there was Bud Light, Coors Light, and Bud were the top three selling beers, with the house beers being the single last selling. And above beer was actually Jaeger and Um It's one of those types of places. Um, wine was actually after that and then house beer was way down here uh, the one thing they did have was a great brewer Tom Kearns who's now at uh, Big Island Brewhouse uh, in Camuela Waimea, Big Island uh, It's best beer on the Big Island hands down and uh, he, he left us just about three years ago, four years ago, to start his own brewery. But they had Tom. And, and with that, I tasted the beer. And I was like, we can, we can really do Maui Brewing Company with this guy. He'll, he'll really do well. And we came in, and we slashed the menus. We changed everything we could except for the decor. Uh, we couldn't afford to do that at the beginning. So it still looked like the old place. But we got rid of all the Bud, the Miller, the Coors, the, every evolution of those beers and bottles. And we said, let's focus on the beer that we make. And we didn't want to waver from that. We didn't really want to give people an opportunity to, well, I'd love to try it, but I know my Coors Light. We wanted to say, no, step outside your box when you come in here. And we started focusing on Bikini Blonde Lager. That was the one that we said, well, we don't serve Bud, and we have nothing really like it. But try this. And we started really educating the local population on uh, what, what craft beer really is. Um, fast forward to uh, 2006 was World Beer Cup. And we were driving up to Hana. And we said, hey, this coconut candy is really tasty. I think it'd be great in a porter. So we bought a bunch of the coconut candy, brought it back to the brew pub, and used it in our seven-barrel batch at the pub. And you know, a few months later, it won a uh, World Beer Cup gold medal. So we kind of knew we were onto something with the coconut porter. Um, we're still the brewery that makes the coconut porter, regardless of what else we do. Uh, and it's a proud badge I wear. Sometimes I feel like I'm painted in the corner, but uh, it's, a, it's a proud corner. Um, so it really, you know, right out the gate, we did win some medals, and we gained notoriety very quickly. And we had to build a new brewery very, very fast. Uh, 350 barrels in our first year, and that was 2005. Uh, we grew to about... Uh, 1500 barrels our second year and the first year we opened our production facility we were about 3500 barrels so it was 2007 uh, last year we brewed just under 18,000 barrels of beer so uh, with 100 percent of that brewed in Maui uh, we're very committed to that uh, our beer arguably is uh you know there's a premium price to pay for getting beer all the way from Hawaii we do ship it refrigerated all the way out here to make sure that the beer is in, in its uh, finest state and uh, You know, we use fresh local ingredients and, you know, make good beer. So that's why it it costs more than, uh, I had a distributor ask me once. He clearly was not the right distributor for us. He asked me why it costs more than Heineken. Uh, And then I just just left the room at that point and decided to do something different. I want to take a bite of my fritter while uh, 50 people watch me eat. That's going to be fun. (laughs) That wasn't too bad. Thank you. I didn't want to do it too dainty, but at the same time, you know, (laughs) one of those things. Anyhow, um, any questions for me at this gate? Yes? You said you use all Hawaiian ingredients. Is there something you really wish Hawaii would grow? grow That's a very good question. The question was, uh, you know, we say we use all uh, Hawaiian ingredients, and is there anything that I wish Hawaii would grow so that we could uh, use that? And just to clarify as well, not all of our ingredients are from Hawaii. I want to be very clear. Um, We're fairly outspoken about where beer comes from when it says it's from Hawaii. So I want to be very clear that uh, we do ship in our malted barley. We do ship in our hops. We're working with a couple local farmers. Maui is a very interesting place in that there's at least 13 different microclimates on the island. So you could be in Kaanapali, which is two miles away from Lahaina. And you could have vastly different weather, temperature, You know, it could be thunderstorm up in Kanapali and dry and hot in in Lahaina, and you're only talking two miles. Um, So we're working with different farmers in different climate areas to try and plant some hops that will grow and at least give us enough to do maybe an estate ale or a special reserve. Uh, But at 18,000 barrels, and this year we're pushing 22, 23,000, we won't be able to get all of our hops there. Uh, malted barley, I always say there's no amber waves of grain on Haleakalā and if there were, there are no malting houses and electricity and gas are far too expensive to do it there uh... so we do ship in those primary ingredients uh... but more more directly to your question um, I wish citrus would grow better in Hawaii uh... limes in particular uh, I love lime for both brewing uh... you know the, the peel especially but also uh, Let's face it. There are those times where you just really need a a margarita and you want some fresh lime, and uh, we have these very thick-skinned limes that yield very little juice. And so I wish we could get something more along those lines. But everything else, uh, you know, we get guava, mango, papaya, all of these highly sought-after fruits around the world that you pay a premium for. uh, That we just get, you know, they're cheap for us. You know, what's expensive to us are the the tomatoes, the you know things like that that uh, don't necessarily grow. very well in Hawaii. Uh, That's my cue. We're moving right on to (laughs) monowheat. I'm actually going to save that one for later. My wife would be very upset with me if I don't bring her a La Perouse. Don't go running off with that. I'm I'm just teasing. Uh, So this one, uh, wheat is one I'm very proud of. Um, It's it's that child that I expect more from and uh, at the same time um, love clearly uh, you know i believe mono wheat it's an american wheat brewed with maui gold pineapple uh this beer was actually originally created and planned to be released in 2008 um we wanted to release a fourth beer we felt that we covered the market pretty well with having a munich helles lager in our bikini blonde lager so we could really get that guy that says hey you know i just what should i start with to get into craft beer so bikini blonde's a good way to go um You know, I know that's not always the case. Sometimes the entry level beer for them is an imperial stout that they fall in love with. But we said, let's just, you know, mainstream wise, let's look at the bikini blonde as the one to go with. then we had the Big Swell IPA, which was our you know, American-style IPA. And then we had the Coconut Porter. So we kind of looked at ourselves, and one day we're walking around the pub and we're talking to people, and you have the guy that loves light beer, you have the guy that loves dark beer, and you got the, you got the guy that loves hops. Um, so then we said, well, we're missing a wheat category. And I know that really boils it down, and I think some of the guys, uh, my friends in the industry would hate me for boiling it down that simply, but I think sometimes that's the best place to start to educate people on what beer really can be. So Mono Wheat came to be... Um, Everyone throws fruit in the wheat beers anyways, whether it's right or wrong. Uh, So we said, you know what, let's just do it for them and we'll use Maui Gold Pineapple. Uh, In my opinion, the best pineapple in the world comes from Hawaii, uh, from Maui in particular. The Maui Gold is a special variety, very low acid, uh, low fiber, and a high sugar content. So it provides not only fermentables, but a wonderful aroma. So when you you get up close to the beer and and, uh, say aloha, it uh, screams back with a field of pineapple. And this beer, uh, it's really interesting because many fruit beers don't survive fermentation without adding more fruit in secondary. And noise. Uh, and uh, this pineapple it's, its such a aromatic and sweet fruit that it does survive fermentation. Uh, we add this fruit at the um, just just after boil. Actually, sorry, just just uh, pre-boil now. Used to be post-boil, but we were getting some very exotic beers sometimes. So, oh, I'm good with my hands if I have to. It's like eating sashimi at home. Um, so this is paired with the ahi salad. Everyone uh, knows what ahi is, right? Tuna. So, oh, thank you. Oh, oh once you eat, I'll, I'll grab some if I need. I'll probably be talking mostly. Um, so anyhow, the, uh, the ahi salad with the mono wheat. Um, traditional wheat beer, throwing the pineapple in, and then we did a few experiments with it at the pub. It sold really well. And then Maui Land and Pine goes out of business, and there's no pineapple to be had. And we were faced with investing all this money in the marketing and, you know, cans and to whole new production. Thank you. And uh, we, we had to decide, are we going to launch this beer as planned and bring in pineapple juice from Costa Rica? Or are we going to just eliminate the beer altogether? And we actually, in, in support of local agriculture, making a statement, we decided to not release the beer. Uh, So we did not uh, release mono wheat on time. Uh, We actually had to wait over 18 months until a local farmer uh, was able to, after litigation and all that time, which I was surprised it was only 18 months, uh, how they were able to take control of a farm. And they came to us and said, we can't survive if we can't sell all of the rejects. And just with all fruit, some of it looks really good and it all tastes great, but some of it can be sold in the store as a pretty pineapple. And some of it, people look like, what is that thing? So we buy all the ones that are, what is that thing? Uh, they're called coals. And uh, myself and the local winery, as well as the distillery, POW, which makes a pineapple vodka. And by pineapple vodka, I don't mean a vodka flavored with pineapple. They literally distill into vodka. It's very pure. Uh, we got together and formed what you would call a Hui, uh, almost a team, uh, to buy all of the pineapple juice at this field or pineapple that's rejected from this field. Yes, ma'am uh no ginger no uh it one of those notes that come from the pineapple with uh, with our house yeast is a you know, a a spice ester characteristic. Some people say, uh, you know, a coriander because it's a wheat beer and and a ginger, a spice-like flavor. Uh, Like as mentioned earlier, in some of our earlier batches when we were adding it post-boil, we did get some very uh, unique Belgian characteristics uh, that were unplanned for because the, uh, the pineapple juice is untreated. It's unpasteurized. It's literally straight out of the field. So we scheduled the brew the same day the pineapples are juiced up at the winery. And we bring the juice down the volcano. It's about 45-minute drive if you drive like I do. Um, fortunately, the cops know my truck, and when there's juice in the back, it's usually like, oh, don't worry, it's for beer, so they let me go. Uh, LAUGHTER But the juice is literally bubbling by the time it gets to the brewery. So it's already fermenting on its own. So that just says there's a lot of wild yeast in the field, uh, which maybe one day we'll capture uh, when we have a lab like Sam's got and uh, make something with a funky uh, house or or field yeast. Um, But it's a good observation. There is a spice character. This beer does vary batch to batch, and that's one of those things that I said I sometimes want so much more from it. Because sometimes I do want to be really consistent with it, but we do very limited production of this beer. It's not our biggest seller because we, we really don't push it very much because we, we only brew it around the pineapple harvest. So you know we're in a, in a state where we don't pasteurize the juice and freeze it for when we want to pull the supply. We just brew it and we can get the fresh juice. So um, I think that speaks to a lot about how craft beer is done uh, in, in our community. I think we, we do the things we want to do most of the time. We, of course, do the things we have to do all the time. Um, but this is one of those things that gives us the opportunity to just say, you know what, we want to do it this way. And even if the Harvard and Wharton business grads would you know, say, this is wrong, and you'll never be successful, I'd say, you know, let me buy you a beer. Uh, it works, works for us. I'm going to go for some tuna salad here right now. How's everybody enjoying the tuna? Very good. Very good.
1: Mm-hmm. Garrett, while you're, while you're chewing, I'll, I'll let you chew. Uh, sure a lot of brewers, you know, the, the, the classic wit beers tend to use uh, just the peel of the orange. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of brewers are, are probably a little intimidated by brewing with something as acidic as either, um, you know, the citrus of the mandarin oranges or the pineapples. Are, sure. there, are there unique uh, challenges that you run into finding a nice balance in the beer? Because these, these beers don't come off as being highly acidic, so acidic. at all.
0: Sure. And I think, um, particularly with the pineapple, it doesn't really have too much of an acidic note to it because the specific thing about Maui gold pineapple is it's known to be a low acid fruit. So you have a very high sugar content. I mean, like I said, it's fermenting by the time it gets down the hill. So, I mean, it's got a lot of high high bricks level and it varies each batch. But um, the oranges was something that definitely was we were, we were worried about in the beginning. Uh, and that's why we brewed a small batch up at the brew pub first. And, you know, we we wash the oranges to make sure the peels are clean, so we use very hot water and we stir them around in our hot back and then drain it and then go straight into uh, pureeing them ourselves. But um, I think that's one of those things from a, a pilot standpoint, that's, it gives us that opportunity to um, experience, experiment with the beer by doing a small batch without investing a ton into it. Um, I think we've only had one beer that we've ever dumped and it, just, it was something that stalled out on us. So, it was before we had a lab to count viability. So that was a it was a hibiscus triple, which we 've brewed since and it worked out but uh it, was, it ended up it was projected to be thirteen percent it finished out at like four percent or six percent, something like that, and it was like we were just hoping for it, and if we had a distillery, uh, we would have been onto something, but uh, it didn 't work out so it 's a good question yes sir
1: it was interesting that you said you added the world
0: yep. Yeah. You- It did. Uh, you know, Kim originally, we, we don't have a separate whirlpool, uh, so we run a two-vessel brew house, uh, both the brew pub and the production brewery. Uh, we're going to change that when we, when we build our new brewery, which we, we just bought the land for because, like I said, we, we can't make enough beer, so it's a, a great place to be in, but we need to fix it. Uh, so really, it's uh, kettle post boil, add it, and then whirlpool, and they're in cheesecloth sacks or the, the dry hop bags. Um, originally, Kim was uh, dumping everything into the kettle. Um, we have a hop filter that we use to keep things from clogging the pipe, uh, and that just ended up becoming too much to have to clean out. Um, you know, and when we did it at the production brewery, we have a hop back that connects to our whirlpool to be able to add, whether it be coconut, pineapple, any types of solids or liquids we can add at ground level instead of having to forklift it all up into the, uh, the brew house now. And so that actually works out much better for us. Uh, adding it in the tank was very difficult, because even fishing those bags out it was hard. Um, thank you. I'll probably just get rid of the, these two. I'll keep the uh, can. I want to drop it. I'm good here. Thank you. I might eat that. Uh, but good question. So. Real quick, I think you got to move on. Um,
1: sure. You are talking about the pineapple starting to ferment before it comes to silly. Yep.
0: You know, that's a very good idea, and I think we might have to try that next time. (laughs) I appreciate that. Uh, You know, we've never done that. I think, in large part, you know... I sometimes, we were talking earlier, sometimes, you know, we've, we've been canning, we were number 11 brewery to start canning, now there's over 190 of them, we've, we've been around for a little over seven years, and sometimes people look at me as if I'm one of the, you know, not the original, of course, or, you know two, those, guys, uh, those guys gave me the opportunity, um, but I've been doing it for a long time, and I still feel sometimes that uh, every day I'm learning something new, and we just recently put in a lab, so I think... Last year, we did just under 18,000 barrels. The year before, we did about 10,000 barrels. Actually, it was 10,800. And even at that barrelage, we didn't even have a microscope at that point. So we literally have just had this, like, just brew, you know, the the rule is when in doubt, brew coconut. And that was our brew schedule. So just right here. And all of a sudden, I look up. I'm like, we should get a lab. So I build a whole lab. I have a guy who's going to run it and then he ends up moving, and so for about six months, I've got this lab that I invested all this money in equipment. No one knows how to do anything with it, so uh, we hired a, a guy who now is, uh, for about six months now, been operating the lab, so we do have the opportunities to do those types of things now, and that would be something cool to check out. I've taken it, and I've just added more sugar, more honey. Uh, I did a pineapple cider. I guess it's not technically a cider, but uh, since the juice was fermenting and you know, we couldn't use it all in a small batch of beer. We'd bought too much pineapple juice. I went ahead and made more booze with it. So <laughs> But I might have to try that. Yeah. <laughs> so hey, first of all, a a Thank to come um when you up a week here in your commitment to Maui agriculture well. that. Other have a lot of food Very good point. Uh, we do. Uh, when we make our buying decisions, uh, you know, we basically look at what can we get on Maui? and then if we can't get it on Maui, what can we get from the neighbor islands? If we can't get it from the neighbor islands, what, you know, we have to bring it in from out of state, um, then we do that. You know, We are a for-profit company. Uh, we do like to make a statement with certain things like that. that We say, look, we're buying local, and it costs us more, and et cetera, et cetera. But we believe it's a higher quality product, or at least a fresher product, to bring in a head of lettuce from up country, Uh, versus bringing lettuce from California, or Costa Rica, etc. So we do definitely look at the other islands. Uh, One thing we're experimenting right now with is uh, coffee fruit. It's the uh, fruit that surrounds the bean of coffee. Uh, It is a waste product, and it's being sold in uh, the form of uh, Kona Red, they call it. It's a juice, really high antioxidant compound, uh, more so than acai and many berries. So we're working with the uh, coffee fruit processors to turn that waste product into a beer, and hopefully you'll see... Uh, a limited-release beer with that soon. Very good question, though. Um, back to your question real quick, too. We are investigating the use of a flash pasteurizer for pineapple juice to be able to regulate the, uh, that beer uh, so it is a little more consistent as well. So that would give us the control over the wild yeast. Yeah. This one, uh, you guys are some of the first in the world to try it. Um, let's see, who should we pick on? I think I kind of want to pick on Steve, but I don't know if that's fair. <laughs> no. Um, if anybody, you guys you probably don't have the cans in front of you, so it wouldn't be fair to do, but uh, the name is uh, Sobre Humano Palena Ole, so you have to say it fast five times. Uh, not that I can. Uh, it's a red ale, uh, red really in this case just referring to color, and it is a, um, it's red in color, good malt backbone, but brewed with lilacoy and cherries. Uh, this is our limited release that uh, took over took over for the La Perouse White. Uh, so La Perouse was our spring limited release. The Sobre Humano is our summer limited release. And uh, I'm trying to train myself to not say seasonal. So you'll hear limited release a lot. Uh, we have very f- few variances in our seasons. Um, this is, uh, like I said, collaboration with Jolly Pumpkin. So what we did is, we, you know, so, Sobre Humano is superhuman. It's a Spanish word. So, we, you know, borrowing from how Jolly Pumpkin labels a lot of their beers. And then Palena Ole means uh, without limits or uh, no boundaries. So we've kind of figured, hey, we're, we're, you know, X number of miles apart, you know, and we have a uh, brewery in, in Michigan that Ron works at, uh, started, and he does all sour barrel aged beer for the most part, and we, do, oh, we don't do a sour. So we decided let's brew the same beer in the two different breweries, let's sour one, bottle it, and then we'll do the standard fermentation cans, and we'll go to each other's breweries to do it. So uh, John Walsh, who's uh, one, my lead brewer at the production facility, flew out in December and brewed this beer with Ron and then ron came out in april and brewed with us so uh... we really did a collaboration that pushes the limits of what people have done in collaboration beers uh... again going back to like i said we get to do the things we want to do most of the time Uh, this is one of those things we just said yeah let's just let's do it why not you know there's nothing saying we can't Um, you know with the amount of money we spent in fruit on the beer you know, we were really hoping for a, a hit, and I think we got it. I really enjoy this beer. Uh, we do have the bottles. should, Catherine, right? We got those bottles? Cool. So you'll get to try the uh, the sour version as well uh, today. Uh, we're also pouring it at our booth uh, as well. So you'll get to experience what how wort can change so much, uh, how just standard, you know, a normal beer fermenting yeast changes versus a... Um, a sour yeast or, or barrel aging and, and letting, the, letting it take its time. So uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but the lilikoi is uh, added as well as the Michigan cherries uh, early on in the, in the boil and uh, they, they survive. Thank you. Perfect. Yeah, I'll pop. Cool. But anyhow, again, like I said, superhuman without limits and paired with the, uh, it's the salami and the cheese platter something I can't get enough. And we have a pickled cherry as well here. This beer is paired with uh, duck confit tacos uh, and uh, pickled cherry as well out uh, at our booth. It's getting really getting loud out there. People had a few beers. They're getting ready to party. Cool. Everybody get some of that one? I'd love for you to see the can too if we can pass some of those empties around. Are you guys doing any type of experimental beers like maybe with pork? No, no, no. With pork. Uh, that's a very good point. Actually, I have a friend who uh, brews a bacon beer, um, so I'm just going to leave that one to him because uh, he's been doing it for a while and uh, he's getting closer. Um, we do, I like to think that most everything we do is an uh, experimental beer. Um, you know, the Sobrio Humano being one of them. Uh, the next batch, the next limited release coming out in the fall is called Liquid Breadfruit. You guys might have heard of a brewery in Delaware called Dogfish. Anybody heard of them? No cool. Well, you'll you'll be seeing them around, I'm sure. Um, We did a a beer. Sam called me and he says, hey, you know, we're coming to Hawaii for vacation. And he's like, I was thinking maybe we could brew a beer together. So we came up with what we we ended up calling, and this was completely Sam's idea, was liquid breadfruit. You know, beer has often been referred to as liquid bread. So we said, well, hey, we'll get breadfruit from Hana and we'll use breadfruit in the beer. So we got uh, 80 pounds of breadfruit. Uh, We have uh, DNA, which is Delaware native ale yeast. It's uh, the the yeast he captured outside the peach farm in Milton. And uh, we use that as the primary fermentation. And then we we actually do two separate fermentations on that beer. So we do primary with his DNA yeast, but it can't tolerate the high alcohol. It's 8.8% alcohol or so, Um, the high gravity. So it kind of chokes the yeast. So then we have to do a second fermentation with our house ale yeast. Okay. Oh, perfect, perfect. <laughs> um, you know, the sour version, too, is the first time my wife, actually, she finally got to the room. You got got some relief back there, babe? Cool. My mom's here and she's now manning the booth, which is, uh, which is very helpful, so. Um, but the sour version, the first time I got to try it was actually today as well, so we're all in. Uh, you know, it arrived the day after I left the brewery to come out here, so. I'm excited for everybody's opinion on that as well. but um, So to answer your point, yes, uh, you know, definitely experimental. We recently started that limited release series each quarter to get back to what made us who we are. You know, we, we, we do the, the beers that we, we, like I said, have to do uh, and we love doing, um, But we got on this track where I kind of felt we were losing some of what made us who we are. Um, You know, I don't think that ever was something that was visible, but it was a feeling. And I sat down with my brewers and I said, hey, you know, we got to do something different. And, you know, we went back and forth for probably two months and trying to decide what are we going to do as our first limited release. And one day I was just like, Kim, La Perouse White. Two weeks later, it wins the, gold, uh, the silver at the Great American Beer Festival. So I was like, okay, cool. There's something to this. We're definitely going to do it. And uh, that was our, our first real limited release. And then we said, well, what's going to be the next one? We actually wanted to do this thing that we've never used before. We call it a plan. And my <laughs> wife will tell you uh, we're not the best at that. She's really good at it, but she doesn't work directly at the brewery. So we just kind of say, hey, let's brew a beer and let's sell it. And then we'll be like, oh, should have ordered some cans. Forgot about that part. All draft. And uh, you know, we've gotten better where we say, okay, well, each quarter we're going to pick a beer. So we literally had this jam session one night where we picked you know th- the next three quarters of beers out. And now we started talking with different breweries about doing collaborations. So we're doing two collaborations roughly each year in-house. Uh, uh, I mean, in-house in, at Maui Brewing. And then we're doing some others with other breweries outside uh, at their house. And then we have uh, our limited our, our own series that we do, uh, you know our own beers that we're going to do in Kansas as well, two of those. So in this year it was La Perouse White, then the collaboration with Jolly Pumpkin, and then the collaboration with dogfish, and then in winter we're doing uh, one that my wife actually named called Aloha Bakhtun. Uh, it's the, uh, about the long, long count calendar, the Mayan calendar. Uh, we're not preaching end of the world, but just, just in case you know you've got a good beer. Um, (Laughter) And aloha means hello and goodbye. So uh, it's a Brussels-style stout with Mayan chocolate. And for us, Mayan chocolate is uh, chocolate, chili, cinnamon, maybe some honey. Uh, I love mole. My family's from Puerto Rico, Peru, South America. So you can get a- I love the-, the spicy food. So that's another one we have not brewed yet. And when we brew it, it'll be for the production run, pretty much. So, um, Which is exciting because it's not like we are... Putting a filter on to give anything to the public. We're just saying we want to brew this beer and here. You know, like I said, we tried this hour tonight for the first time and it's going to the public. So we don't get a chance to pull it back if we didn't do it right. Uh, you know, you kinda get to see us at our best and at our worst. And you know, we love that about craft beer, the, the integrity behind craft beer, the sense of place and the transparency in what we do. So Besides the hibiscus triple, have we had anything that we've thrown out? Um, no. Um, maybe a couple home brews that just got old and we forgot about the keg, that kind of thing, but uh, fortunately, I hope this is wood, um, have not had to do that yet. It was very painful to watch that on Brewmasters, whether, I'll have to ask Sam if that was for real or not, but, um, you know, that's, that, that's one of those things we've, been, we've managed to avoid, and that, I think every brewer faces that at some point, but I think... Uh, you know, and, and to that we also haven't not poured something out because we wanted to save the money. You know, we we definitely have uh, you know, if it needed pouring out, it got poured out and that was just that one uh, that stalled out. We tried to bring it back and it didn't work. So um, let's see. We had this we got, I didn't get to eat the cheese, but I'm not worried about that. I'll eat later. Having too much fun talking. Yes. I am not a beer drinker at all. Drinker. Oh. New best friend. New best friend. <laughs> Thank you so much. Even my me Another glass. Perfect. Oh, no. Don't forget to tip your servers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm my husband and, and he brewed
1: some beer, and we both love to cook, how did
0: you get into this? Because I think this is like a second one. Sure. Or people like us that want to do something different. Um, That is exactly how I got into beer. Um, I was fortunate at a young age, my my grandpa, uh, so I'll repeat the question, it's uh, not a beer drinker, which I think everybody heard that one, uh, but loves the La Perouse White, uh, husbands in oil, and they love to cook, they love beer, and they want to, you know, how did I get into beer? I've been in beer most of my life. My grandpa worked for the purchasing department at Scripps Oceanographic Institute in San Diego. Uh, It was where I grew up, San Diego. Uh, I'm not native Hawaiian. Um, Like most Mauians, I'm from California. Um, So I got to have these beers that the captains of all these ships uh, would bring back to my grandpa because they knew if they brought him cool beer that they would get what he needed or they they would get what they needed from him much quicker. Uh, So I remember there was one from New Zealand called DB Drought, and it was a canned beer and it was yellow and brown and red label and i think they still make it haven't had it in some time it's not available in the states but uh... you know i really enjoyed that beer it's probably like you know a very you know mainstream beer in new zealand but it was somewhat like i remember being an english mild is what i would compare it to uh... now knowing much more about beer than i was at uh, a younger age um... God, yeah i started drinking not drinking but enjoying beer. that all sounds bad, no matter where I put it. Um, But our family, you know, our family just, you know, we we had responsibility behind the drinking most of the time. Um, And I was one of those broken home families, so there was a lot of self-guidance. but coming from San Diego, there was, you know, port, there was stone, there was, you know, a lot of breweries. There was even, Sierra Nevada was already down there when I graduated high school. And, you know, I remember having these great beers and thinking, God, this is, this is beer. I don't like that MGD stuff. That's not what I'm here for. And I just loved what import beers were about. And then it was, well, Trader Joe's has all of these beers and et cetera, et cetera. So fast forward to college. I went to UC Davis. Uh, thank you. Uh, UC Davis is a a big brewing school, Uh, brewing, viticulture, and uh, veterinary, primarily. I studied economics and international relations. Uh, I joke that I studied beer all from the consumption side of things. So we actually had a brewing school, uh, but I didn't go to any of those classes. Um, Fast forward again, uh, went on a vacation to Hawaii, fell in love with Maui, drinking a beer that I thought was local, found out it wasn't. And I said, hey, you know, ding, there's, there's something I can do to, you know, this is, I can make beer and make a world-class local product. All I have to do is learn how to make beer at that point. Um, and that's where I, I was good about putting people together to get a project done. And that's where when we found this business that we actually took over and turned into what is now Maui Brewing Company uh, is how I really evolved into beer. I learned to brew after I owned the company. Um, you know, it was I, I could recognize that I didn't have what, ne- what needed to be done, and we knew a guy that could, so we said, hey, we're going to buy this company that's not working out very well and uh, create Maui Brewing Company out of that uh, mess that was kind of there before. I hate to call it a foundation because it wouldn't have been a, a strong one, but uh, that's how we really, you know, that's the, the short answer. Uh, primarily, uh, I started out investment consulting, and that was my career. I was from middle school once I saw Charlie Sheen in, uh, um, you know, Charlie and Gecko in uh, Wall Street, uh, minus the ending. I wanted to be that. So, you know, I, I you know, obviously that didn't work out for me. Uh, I loved the career. still love it to this day, but I wanted to do something different, and I Decided to start my own company and pursue my life uh, in beer, and that's seven and a half years ago now. Um, I tell the story often that my wife and I, when we started the company, literally put everything into the company. We slept on the floor of a very um, peach-colored apartment uh, and not awesome for for several weeks before we could afford a mattress, and we literally started. From the ground up, and uh, I think that's what made us who we are today. Um, 18,000 barrels, largest craft brewery in Hawaii, the only regional craft brewery in Hawaii, um, you know, and now distributed in 11 states and four countries. So, yeah. Well, cheers. Thank you. Aloha. This is the uh, coconut porter. I'll I'll get to you in just two seconds. Uh, Coconut porter, again, uh, it's the beer that gave us our birth. It's uh, about 6% alcohol by volume. It's a robust porter brewed with hand toasted coconut. Uh, I want to specify hand toasted coconut because we, yes, literally do toast the coconut by hand. We do not use extracts. We don't use droppers of flavor. If it comes in a jar and is labeled any kind of flavor, it's not allowed in the brewery. Um, We have been very firm about that because we believe that beer, to make it great, you have to use the real fruit. You know, if you're saying you're brewing with a fruit or a spice, it should be that fruit or spice. Uh, And that's what we do with coconut. Last quarter, we toasted about 12,000 pounds of coconut by hand. Uh, We do not have any fancy coconut toasting equipment. If anybody knows of any, I'd love to hear about it. we toast in a two-stage convection oven with some spatulas and a lot of gloves because we tend to lose or burn through them very quickly. Uh, we toast it to a particular level, not very charred, just uh deep blonde in color and we do that to remove some of the oils and bring out the toasted nuttiness Uh, as the beer warms it's a little cold right now uh... you'll start getting more of that mild nut sweetness in the background that's what this beer is about it's not about being coconut juice with a beer flavor we are brewers we make beer we want to accentuate the flavors of this style uh, which is the robust porter again we want to add another dimension of flavor almost a background to enhance the flavor of what is a porter. I've always loved Black Butte Porter. It's one of my favorites still to this day. Uh, it's just a, a good porter, always reliable. And that's kind of the, the design around where this beer started and adding that coconut at the uh, initially in the mash. But we found that didn't really do much. So we added it all in the kettle through a hopback back. And uh, 200 and change, 220 pounds per 25-barrel batch. So a lot of coconut. But great for dessert, Uh, this is great with anything, any rich meats do really well with this, you know, an osubuco, uh, cocovan, those types of things do really well with coconut porter. I think its best pairing may be chocolate. Uh, We actually do a coconut porter flan at the restaurant and that's how I was excited for this. My grandma from Peru, she always used to make me flan and uh, it's kind of a near and dear dessert to my heart. So, You had a question though, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, when I buy your beer, it's not Does that impact the of the beer? All all the time? Thank you. Two questions. Um, I forgot the first one. I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking this flan is very good, huh? I really enjoy I just got the, the, the sugar on the top, of the brulee part. Very nice. Um, you know, so canning versus bottling. The only bottling we've ever done has been hand bottles for competitions. Uh, we never released a package until we started canning. Uh, We actually did not do draft. We only did cans for the first about year and a half of our business. Um, We're kind of an odd bird in the brewing world where typically you'll start a brewery. You'll start with, you know, some old kegs that someone gave to you or you found on Pro Brewer, and you'll get some handles, and you'll grow. Hawaii is unique in that um, I think it's where a lot of cities were 10 years ago, where, you know, craft beer, they're like, why, what? You know, it's not going to, it's a fad, right? Um, Exactly. So... So we, you know, when we would go in and we'd try to sell beer, they'd say, oh, no, sorry, you know, our Budweiser takes care of all of our handles and they give us money and still do uh, those types of things uh, in order to uh, secure that tree. And we were like, well, great, because we're not asking for a handle is what we decide. We're going to go for a package. So I said, all I want is a little space in that cooler right there behind the bar. And I got a can. And they're like, Good beer in a can, and it's more than Heineken? What? Um, It was one of those very different uh, approaches to craft beer. Uh, It wasn't until after we proved the weight of the beer in cans that we were successful in securing even one tap handle. And after we proved we'd be around, there were eight attempts at breweries on Maui's. They'd all failed. And all the restaurants had been pretty much seasoned to not bring on a new beer because they might not make it. And we were, you know, burdened with that, so we chose package instead. Uh, the cans are actually made locally in Oahu. So it's another reason we chose the can, is because we're supporting local labor, much like we ask for support of local, local beer, local labor, uh, local agriculture. You'll notice the ridges at the top of the can. You'll, we'll make sure you get some empty cans so you can see or come by the booth. But they're a much wider neck. They're about an eighth of an inch wider than the cans that are made here in the mainland. Um, so the ridges indicate that it is a can from Hawaii. There's a new can from Hawaii. Check out the neck, it's from Oregon. Um, enough about that. Uh, the second question was, we, uh, <laughs> we, we do require shipping uh, cold uh, to all the markets that, that have refrigerated shipping of course. Um, so when we ship here, we ship in through uh, Northern California, through Port of Oakland, we take a refrigerated container, drop it there, and then by refrigerated rail car it comes out here. Now as much as we try to tell the stores, this is the way we want you to handle our beer. We can't really say that. Some governments even prohibit us from dictating any sort of positioning within the store. Um, We prefer that they keep it cold. We actually used to have on the can, live beer keep cold, but it freaked a lot of people out uh, is what we found out. They're like, it's alive, like what? Oh, it was cold. I, I wish I could take it home with me from the pub. Well, you can. Well, it was cold. It won't be good when it gets home. There's all these misconceptions about that. Uh, what we try to avoid is the beer getting hot. Now, room temperature in you know, most places on the East Coast, half the year at least, uh, is a is fine temperature. Hawaii room temperature is a little warmer, so we prefer not to uh, not to have it you know sitting out in an open field. Of course, you know on the tarmac, um, you know. And truth be told, in our warehouse we can our beer and it'll sit on the warehouse floor for a week before we get to actually put it in a container refrigerated. Uh, we've outgrown our cold room, uh, but in our you know our, our warehouse has you know it's not insulated, but we have a, all the doors open, so we've got a constant airflow. We have solar on the roof, which gives us a, a lot of reflection from the sun. So the beer is. Uh, warmer than we'd like to typically store. In the new brewery, we'll have a lot more cold room uh, in order to store. But we're canning on Tuesday. It's shipping out Thursday. You know, so we, we tend to get that type of a rotation. You know, this, I think so far, you know, this last, three, last, last week while I've been gone, they've shipped out three containers of beer. which is about 6,000 case equivalents. And we canned all that right into the container. So as that truck's pulling up to hitch up that, that cold box, we're loading the last two pallets in there. So, you know, we really try to do our best for that. So... And when we, when we package beer, we try to send to the mainland, we send the beer that's straight off the line because it's two weeks to get to the mainland, typically about 10 days to, uh, door-to-door from Maui to our California distributors. So in your opinion, if beer gets warm, cold, not extreme warm, then yeah. You want to avoid extreme temperatures with the beer, and uh, you know, that, I think that's the important thing, especially too, most of our styles, with the exception of the Bikini Blonde, all of them will age pretty well, um, You know they're higher alcohol, you know, the, the Big Swell IPA, you'll notice a little degradation of hops by the end of that first year, uh, as well as the Coconut Porter, the Coconut Porter flavor does mellow a little bit, um, but I've had year old beers before, as long as they're kept cool, and they've always been very good, so, good question. Anyone else? Oh, Gentleman in the back. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a, a question I get once in a while. The question was, uh, he's willing to relocate any, uh, if we have any job openings. Um, you know, it, it brings up a good point, and I know, um, you know, as a growing brewery, we, I, I always tell people, look, we, we have stuff come up that I can't even think to plan for. Uh, again, that plan is a whole new thing to me. Um, so, you know, we're, what we do is we pull resumes and we pull from those first. So people that really want to work for us, we, we pull from that bank first. So the ones that stay in front of me are usually the ones that get the first calls. Um, after that, you know, in, aside, it sounds awesome to like, oh, yeah, that guy's got it made. He makes beer in Hawaii. Um, you know, let's, let's uh, if we look at the facts, we've got malted barley that costs the same as it does here. And then add 20 cents a pound. Then your average malt, your average two-row malt, is going to run you about 35 to 38 cents a pound, um, depending on your volume discounts, how big a brewery you are. So that guy that makes it for 35 cents a pound here, uh, that's that's 55 cents a pound to me, and 40,000 pounds per container. So real quickly, do the math. You know, you're talking per container. Then I've got the $8,000 of container per container shipping in for ingredients. Then I've got the $6,000 per container shipping out. So you're talking about a point where the, we're going under this financing for the new brewery and the banker calls me. He says, hey, I think there's an error on your financials. <laughs> so you spent just over half a million dollars on shipping last year? It's like, yeah, that's, that's about right. Sounds about right. You know, X number of containers per month times, yep. He's like, wow. He's like, have you ever thought about it? I said, look, it's not even an option. We're Maui brewing. And you know, he was going to say, of course, have you ever thought about brewing in the mainland? It, we wouldn't be who we are if we did that. You know, when, when you pick up that can, we want you to know it came from Maui. And as long as I'm alive, um, you know, and hopefully long after, that beer will come from Hawaii. And so, you know, it, it, it is awesome because either before work or after work, yeah, the highway, the one lane in each direction, is a, uh, you know, what, 30 feet from the water in most places. The brewery's three blocks from the ocean. Um, the new brewery will have ocean views, and we got a great breeze, and I can wear board shorts and a tank top all year round. I actually got dressed up for you. Um, you know, these, these, it sounds fun, and, it, and get me don't get me wrong, it absolutely is. But it does take a, uh, a special person to live in Hawaii. If you go to the store and they're out of orange juice and that upsets you, Hawaii's not for you. Uh, orange juice is shipped in, and if you go to the store on Sunday night, just don't go to the store on Sunday night because you're not going to be happy. Uh, so these are the things you have to deal with on an island. Uh, if you love the outdoors, if you can totally be happy with a six-pack of beer on the, on the beach and uh, $5 to fill, fill your uh, scuba tank uh, with air and that like, makes your life great, then that's good as long as you understand that that doesn't make your life great on a vacation time, but that's like year-round. Uh, so it is a different place. And I, I, I love Hawaii. It's for me and I encourage people to come over. There's a horrible book that uh, talks about, it says, I think it's called, uh, So You Want to Live in Hawaii? And I think it tries to discourage everyone from it. I just say, make sure you give it, you know, it's due time. Um, We've had many great talent come through the brewery that um, either husband or wife uh, decides that Hawaii is not for them. And if it's not for them, it's not for the other one either. Let me, I'm absolutely positive of that. Uh, I've seen many men come over and, Wife says, "Hey, we're moving. You should come too, Um, you know, to go home because grandma's not there to take care of the babies to give them a break. You know, the schools aren't very good, so it's private education. You know, so there is a little bit of difference. There are challenges to brewing in Hawaii. Uh, I think we have a very good kinship with the uh, with Alaskan brewing because they run through some of the same issues, uh, whether it be." increased uh, cost of energy, uh, increased cost of labor, insurance, and et cetera. So, you know, I don't know what a kilowatt hour costs here, but it's $0.36 cents plus the demand charge in Hawaii works out to about $0.39 cents a kilowatt hour. You know, so this room would be costing dollars, not pennies. Okay. Which one of your beers would you recommend that would go out with Spam Musubi? Spam Musubi. Ooh, I'd probably have to go straight into Bikini Blonde. Uh, the question was, uh, what's the uh, what's, which one of our beers would you recommend for Spam Musubi? Anyone had Musubi? Cool, and everyone knows what spam is, right? (laughs) It's certain parts of the animal. uh, It doesn't go bad though. That's a good thing. Um, But it is like the uh, I I would call it the Hawaiian power bar. Uh, It really does give you the the energy you're looking for at that five-hour energy drink time. Um, I prefer, you know, I'm not a huge spam fan. Uh, Grilled is not bad because it cuts some of that just grease. Um, but I would go with Bikini Blonde Lager because it is uh, a little bit more carbonated. It's carbonated about 2.7 volumes, and it's fizzy enough that it scrubs the tongue. The little <laughs> scrubbing <laughs> bubbles come out and uh, cleans the mouth a bit. So, very good question, though. So Yes, sir? So, sort of a related question right, about the poke. poke. That depends. I think, uh, I think the last time we did poke was what we did with mono wheat, and it was a uh, spicy poke. Uh, but again, I have to, you know, I think the best, uh, in, when you're talking about raw fish, I think Bikini Blonde is, is the one to go. And I, and I know I was half joking about the, uh, the Spam musubi with the scrubbing bubbles, but it really does act that way. Any of the richer, fatter type foods, uh, that, where they linger, whether it be cheese or, uh, in the raw fish side, you get that oil, um you know, the, the Bikini Blonde does well. This is why you see most Japanese beers served with um, Sapporo and Asahi and those types of um, more fizzy uh, yellow beer. It's a little better than our typical fizzy yellow beer, but it's still fizzy yellow. Good question. Yes, sir. So um, are you going to do a collaboration with the Garrett Oliver? so it would be like a or something? Uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> a good, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, you know, we, we sh- we've we talked about it, things in the past. We've never said, hey, let's brew together. I think Garrett's got so many great things going on. They just put in their new uh, Rolex brew house, and he's uh, continuing to make some amazing beers. I would love to do it at some point, so invitation's always open. I invite him out to Hawaii every year for our festival. I'm a big fan of their beers. Um, you know, I just enjoyed their Berliner Weiss, uh, you know, not too long ago. and I love Brooklyn Lager in a can. It's just awesome to be able to get that. Um, So you know, I I don't think uh, I don't think there's any reason why to say no. I mean, like I said, I think we're I've defined ourselves now as uh, serial collaborators. I think we're just you know afraid of being alone. Maybe I don't know. We just we brewed. uh, like the two this year, and then we have one that I, uh, Rick Chapman over at uh, Coronado Brewing wanted to brew, and I said, "Look, I can't, I can't do another. I, all my slots, you know, each quarter is full." So he he came over and we pilot brewed at the at the pub, and then we're brewing it at his house uh, in the fall. We're doing a hibiscus IPA. I love hibiscus, so that'll come out 40 barrel batch, real small. Um, but you know, we we definitely want to do more of those. I think Sun King is the one we have scheduled furthest out, and that is. I told, I told you, right? It was spring, or was it? It was winter 2013, was it? Or was it 14? It was two, maybe 2013. I think we bumped someone for them. So, um, But we have you know Tommy Arthur's coming in December. We're going to brew for the spring. We're going to bring a lemongrass saison. And then we have... Um, the next one in the summer, I think next year so far, is our own beer. It's called Pauhana Pilsner. Uh, it's a really traditional Pilsner, a uh, six-week beer minimum for us. Uh, we use a Scarborough yeast, which really gives it a, a really nice traditional Bohemian Pils uh, flavor. And um, I would, I'm would, i probably going to get a letter from Heineken on that one, because I'm sure the can will poke a lot of fun at that one. So I want to do a beer in a green can, just to, you know... If Hawaii has to have a green bottle or can, I'm going to give them one. So uh, One in the back, and then I'll grab you, Steve. Yes? What's the uh, percentage of break of you know, what you sell domestically versus what you sell to the mainland? Sure. Good question. Uh, in Hawaii, we we sold uh, about 65. It's 62 to 68% uh, sells in Hawaii, and then the rest is sold here in the mainland and abroad. Um, you know, we believe currently that we have a market for about 30,000 barrels a year in Hawaii. And that number comes from a lot of different data points that I, most of them, i just pulling out of air. Um, but I think that that would make sense as we educate more people about what craft beer is. So we want to get to a 60,000 barrel mark where we are a 50-50. Uh, we don't want to get to a point where we're too overweight in sending to the mainland, because then we're going contrary to what we say in being green and sustainable, where we're literally bringing ingredients over just to process and send back. Now, at that point, that might not make sense. Um, currently, though, looking at it, we're saying, well, this is, we have to bring it over to even make a local beer, so of course that's right. Um, we've been attacked in the market a few times from the big boys, if you will, um, that it's not sustainable, that, you know, you're bringing ingredients over just to brew, and it's, well, what do you, do you have, you know, malt house in your backyard? You know, you're bringing them over to Washington to brew your Hawaiian beer, to Oregon to brew your Hawaiian beer, or to New Hampshire to brew your Hawaiian beer, your Hawaiian beer. so how are we bad I think the, the point there is is that until I came about, no one ever brought up the issue. Um, there was no brewery to compete with. You know, we're all talking about Kona. I'm not trying to hide it. Um, I'm, you can tell I'm pretty honest that way. Um, you know, we don't try to hide that fact. And you know, if until we came about and became a real force to be reckoned with, until our beer was on the shelves and we were doing three, four, five thousand barrels, uh, you know, we weren't even considered that we were going to last. You know, according to them, and. Um, you know, I, th- I think that they looked at us as, as just this, see if they can make it, you know, that kind of a thing. It obviously wasn't the case, but until then, there was never a mention that the beer was brewed outside the state of Hawaii. Uh, and all of a sudden, 2008, we did 6,000 barrels, and they say, hey, we are now brewing beer freshest, closest to market, because it's uh, costly and uh, not sustainable to ship ingredients to Hawaii to ship, or to, to brew beer. All of a sudden, this mindset changed. And that mindset only changed because there was someone actually doing it and and making real local Hawaiian beer. Uh, It's something that I'm uh, a huge proponent of is uh, transparency in your labeling. Uh, I believe in local beer, and I don't believe that it's a wrong thing for them to contract brew. I actually would hate to see anything wrong with Kona, I actually still, I think they make some very fine beers, however, I believe the consumer, you, uh, deserves the opportunity to make that decision for yourself, and I believe the label should be required to put where beer is made, and where, not just where the office is located. Um, that's my soapbox, one of many. Um, but like I said, on our can we say it in three different places, I'm not required to. All I need to do is have an office in DC and I can make local beer in China. And that's not right. You know, I think that's not right. So, Steve? I going to tell you uh,
1: apparently we do not have the sour
0: in Oh, the we air, don't. So they'll have to, I guess, okay, the- no problem. One or two questions, depending on how long-winded I can be. Um, no problem. So the sour, uh, the, the, just real quick to make a stand- the sour will be available at our booth. Uh, it's not here in the salon tonight. But uh, please do try that. You'll get an opportunity to try the standard fermentation as well as the sour out at our booth. And the gentleman back here had a question. Uh, so Hawaii obviously has a strong connection to Japan, a lot of tourism. Absolutely. So, yeah. How much do you sell to Japan and how much do you see You know, it's growing very quickly. We sell, I would... It's about a pallet every other month, which is about 100, 120 CEs. Um, our distributor over there, because uh, Japan is a very draft-driven market, um, they, you know, we don't have the kegs to send to them because it takes a long time to ship over there and come back. Uh, by the time we see those kegs again, it could be months, and we don't have that kind of cash to lay an asset out that long. So he bought kegs and sends them to us. We fill them and send them back. So we primarily do six stools or five-gallon kegs over to Japan, and we'll do usually about 100 of those uh, every six weeks, you know, and then we send cases for events and, you know, to get the package on the shelf after they've had it in draft. So good question, though. So, cool. Anyone else? Cool. Well, thank you all for coming tonight. It's been great thank you. getting to know you a little bit. So Thank you, Jared. Thank you. Great group. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Saver Salon. Craft Beer Radio is a mostly weekly beer podcast where we attempt to educate and entertain. If you haven't heard our podcast, we invite you to find us in iTunes or go to our website, craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Please visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.